Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Move Forward podcast. I'm your host, as usual, Dr. Kim Moss. And today we are continuing a conversation that we started last time with my good friend, Ken Fish. You can find out more about Ken and his resources at orbisministries.org. And be sure to go back to last episode to hear everything that we talked about up to this point, and also to hear more about who Ken is and uh, what he has been up to in the last many, many years of his ministry. Ken, thank you so much for joining me again for another episode. I know that you are a busy man and that you're wanted all over the world, uh, but I thought that our conversation was so important and it went by so fast. And of course, I had more questions, and I'm sure I'll have more questions after this. So we have been talking about the need for a reformation, especially in the prophetic, but I think God is shaking everything. I think he's shaking the cultures. I think he's shaking the nations. I think that he is shaking uh, the church. I think he's shaking everything. And I think he's also trying to get us to have a reformation in our worldview because it has played into creating a culture in the church where the gospel becomes a mean of means of becoming famous, which we talked a little bit about last time. But I want to be really clear that being well-known, having incredible influence, and being even being wealthy is not a sin before God. It's how you use those things. And the reason that God uh, makes someone influential, gives them wealth, is for the advancement of the gospel and his kingdom. And so um, being those things, having those things in and of itself is not being in sin. I want to make that really clear because you and I can both know some very powerful leaders and they have laid their lives down for the gospel and they are not living in sin because they are wealthy or influential or even celebrities for that matter, because they're so well known. But my concern comes about when I'm looking at God shaking the church to bring correction and reformation so that he can increase our authority influence because I want people to get healed and delivered and saved. So I want to ask you some very general questions today. And wherever this conversation goes, it's okay with me. I want you to know. And <laughs> and maybe, you know what? It would might be a good thing right now to, to pray and invite the Holy <laughs> Spirit. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you so much. I thank you for this man. I thank you for the gift of intellect that you have given him. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, that we can think together and discuss these issues for the good of the kingdom and the good of those who are listening. So Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you into the conversation. We invite you to lead us wherever you would take us. I ask that you would come upon Ken right now, that you would stir up his gift, Lord God, his gift of prophecy his gift of understanding, his gift of discernment, his gift, Lord Jesus, of knowledge, Lord Jesus, and especially, as I said before, the gift of wisdom, so that we can have a conversation that will definitely advance your kingdom in the lives of people. And so we thank you, Lord, for what you'll do today in Jesus' name. So, Ken, we know God is not up on the throne, wringing his hands, going, 
I just don't know what I'm going to do about this. And, um, but I wanted to ask you a more prophetic question in the beginning and, uh, and however you, it's fine, but what do you see God doing? I know, oh, and this I want to mention too, you have your own podcast and, um, and it is called God is not a theory. And I know that you have talked at length about the reformation and these things. So all of you who are listening, you can go to go find him on YouTube, find God is not a theory, find his podcasts and, and listen in so that you can hear all about that. But in talking about that, I know God must be speaking to you about this. So what do you see God doing on a large scale right now? Well, uh, at, at the most macro scale, I think what he's trying to do is uh, continue advancing the scenario that leads us to the eschaton, which people don't use that word very much, but one of my professors used to use it. So we get the term eschatological from it. The eschaton is the end point. It's the end time. Uh, it's the end game. It's the it's the conclusion of history. And of course, we're nearer now than when we first believed, uh, to quote a verse. And we're also nearer now than when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. So um, I think a lot of things are in play. And I think that the COVID outbreak that began in 2019 is... I have said elsewhere, I think it's the beginning of sorrows. Jesus said that there would be a time of great sorrows, uh, unlike anything that had ever come on the earth at the end of the age. Yeah. And uh, when he said that, he was in complete unison with the uh, words of the prophet Daniel in chapter 12, verse 1, where Daniel says that it would be a time of distress, unlike any since the first nation was established. And so in all of human history, uh, the end times are going to be a time of great sorrow and difficulty. And uh, obviously they end well because Jesus comes back. Well, they end well for believers. It's not so clear about the non-believers. <laughs> uh, but, but all the more reason for non-believers to become believers and to surrender their lives and stop living in a way that is diametrically opposed to the ways of God. Um, but anyway, um, so I think, I think COVID was the opening move in this beginning of sorrows mm. phenomenon. And so I've said to many people, the ride's going to get rougher before it gets better. So buckle up and get ready. And so I think that, I think that's, uh, I would agree with you. I, I see it getting rougher before it gets better. I think, I think that there will be some glorious things that God will do and, uh, that will, uh, help us get through. And, and, um, but I agree with you, most of these things, I was thinking as you were talking that how much more important it is then for us to understand that our governments, whatever country we live in, not just the United States, but our governments are not our savior. That's correct. You know, and so we can, and, and rightly so, you know, fight for good laws and, and the saving of life and all of these things. I am not at all saying that you cannot be a patriot. But what I am saying is that our hope is not in how well our government performs or the next president that is in office. Our hope is in Jesus Christ alone, because God is the one that's moving us toward that end point. And the other thing that I was thinking and um, is that I know this, this past uh, Christmas, 
<laughs> because because this is airing sometime in February or March, I think. Um, I never before had been interested in practicing Advent. Um, And I've heard a lot about it, you know, and because I didn't grow up in any kind of uh, tradition that that practice that sort of liturgical uh, looking at the calendar and 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 uh, in those ways. Um, But I think that it's I think that it's been very prophetic that Advent is is not just uh, recognizing Christmas as a time of Jesus has come, but it's recognizing that he is coming and he's coming again. Right. And um, which is what you were speaking about when we talk about the eschaton. That's right. So in, in what, in what God is doing, then how, how are we, you said um, something about being ready. And I've heard many people talking about that. And I know that I, it's been on my heart too. How do we, prepare? How do we get ready? What are, what are the things that we should be? How do we look at this so that if we're entering a time of sorrows that we don't get lost and hopeless and fall into depression and never rise back up? Well, the first thing we have to do is take the words of Jesus seriously. I just preached a sermon on this in uh, San Jose, Costa Rica, two days ago, as we record this. Uh Uh, And I was talking about the fact that Jesus said, when these things begin to happen, and of course he's talking about all this tribulation and wars and rumors of wars and nation rising against nation and all of it. I mean, there's far more even than I've just listed. I'm just giving a few sample uh, excerpts. But he says, when, when you see these things begin to happen, you should actually look up and in the King James, it says lift up. I remember my grandmother reading it to me that way. Uh, but but basically look up and lift up your hearts and be excited, even in the midst of the challenge and the difficulty. Um, for redemption, your redemption draweth nigh. Mm-hmm. And so part of how we do that, you know, sometimes people say ch- Christians have their eyes so heavenly, uh, turned so, so much towards the heavens, or they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. But I want to just turn that and say, I think we need to become so heavenly minded that we actually become of some earthly good because Mm. people who are fixed on the hope that we have laid up in heaven that cannot be corrupted or taken away. Those are the people who in the face of great difficulty will be fearless. Those are the people Mm. who will be willing to lay their lives down because they realize it's not about this life anyway. I mean, uh, we do need to live this life well. I don't want to. I don't want to misstate yes. it and have people misunderstand me. But at the end of the day, this life consists of. I don't know. Nowadays, people live longer, so we'll say perhaps as long as ninety or a hundred years. Yeah. Um, some people don't make it that long. I know, but uh, but you know, it's conceivable that people could make it ninety or a hundred years. So in the midst of that. Um, as we have the hope of something better, we realize, you know, 90 or 100 years is just, it, it's, it's, it's not even a hands width in the history of the world. And it doesn't matter if you're a young earth creationist or you believe that the universe was created uh, approximately 15 billion years ago. It, you could be anywhere in between that. No matter what you say, 100 years is not very long. And so this yeah. life is but a vapor. And I'm reminded of the words of Isaiah the prophet when he received his his true prophetic commission. He'd been prophesying before he saw 
the Lord in the temple. But when the Lord commissioned him, he said, well, what should I preach? And the Lord said, tell them all that all flesh is grass and all the uh, all their beauty is like the flower of the field the, gra uh, the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our god endures forever and so i i think the first thing we do to prepare is live in the light of eternity not in the light of the now and with that it doesn't mean we stop caring about po politics or political right or wrong or injustice or you know corruption and ethics and morals we care about it but we also realize that um, there is there is a settlement day coming. It's called Judgment Day, and anything we didn't get taken care of down here in this lifetime, believe me, it's going to be settled. And don't believe me; believe Jesus, because He's the one that really yeah. taught on it. Jesus. And every single person will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds done in the body, and no one's going to get off on that day. And so with that, we can have a kind of surety and a certainty, and I would even say an equanimity, a calmness of mind that God's got this. And yeah. you know, the, the scripture says, why do the nations even rage against the Lord? Why do they plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed, and the Lord sits in the heavens and laughs. And he says, kiss the sun, lest he be angry. Well, kiss the sun, the word, one of the words for worship means to turn toward and kiss. So worship the son make your peace with him now because on that day you absolutely are going to want to be shriven of your sins otherwise you're going to have to give an account for them and there will be many many people who thought that they were powerful who thought they were getting away with things who are going to give an answer and it's going to be a very sobering day so that's the second thing we do yeah and then the third thing we do is we make a determination that we're going to live our Christian life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, I've said many times, not so much with you, Kim, but, but, you know, in sermons and other places, I think for a lot of Christians in the Western world, this is going to sound kind of tough, but anyway, here we go. I think, <laughs> I, I think they view Christianity as a spectator sport. It's like yes. people who watch Monday night football. Well, are you playing football or are you watching Monday Night Football? Those are not the same thing. And there's a lot of people that are busy going to conferences and they're listening to music and they're, you know, they follow podcasts, mine, yours, whatever. But however they're expressing that, but they're are they actually in the game? And I think what the, what the Lord wants is an activist body of people who are living their life out and doing the things that they should be doing. Jesus said, blessed is the man who, when the Lord comes, he finds him doing. And so we get in the game. But the fourth piece of it that goes right behind the third piece is that we really need to examine our lives and say, where am I doing things? Where am I saying things? Where is my heart out of alignment with the ways of God so that I can fix that now and I can live my Christianity, I, I'm going to say out loud. I don't have anything to be ashamed of. Um, everything I say and everything I do is congruent. And so the life that I lead has no contradiction in it. There is an ethical clarity and a moral certitude. By the way, that's not the same thing as being obnoxious and imperious. But a moral certitude about right and wrong and we hold ourselves accountable to that so that in no wise do we bring any dishonor on the Lord himself because of our own lives and the way we conduct ourselves with our speech, 
um, what we do with our money, uh, how we conduct our business affairs, what we do in ministry, if we're in the ministry, uh, all of that and more. So I think those are the four things that we can do to, to get ready. Oh, I think that's so important. And I think that a lot of what you're talking about is that we're coming into a time now where being a Christian, like really being a Christian, a Christ follower, a disciple of Christ is, is not anymore a consumer driven uh, thing to be. It's not just a label, but it's, it's actually who we are. And, and they'll, you know, that old saying, they'll know we are Christians by our love. It's more than just, oh, I love you. And, you know, and so, you know, you sweet little thing, you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because love tells the truth. Right. And I think that words and the word of God is going to become very, very important in the days to come. And I and I also think that that part of being ready and, and you were saying this um, in a, in different words, but in my words, I would say that we have to get ready to be uh, we have to get ready to pay the cost the price of being a Christian. Absolutely. You know, I have said for a long time, and I know that I wrote just a little bit about this in my latest book, but the, um, that I, I want the church to recover a, a really, a, a vital and vibrant theology of suffering. You know, yeah. we don't like that. We don't want that. I don't like it either. Um, but as I look all around me, can I see suffering everywhere so much more magnified than than in probably all my lifetime. And you can feel it's almost tangible in the air, you know, and um, and how do we answer that? We we have the answer. It's Jesus. But but how do we answer that more than just, you know, I'm part of the charismatic tribe. So more than just I'm going to I'm going to. Uh, declare some things over you, you're going to have a miracle and you're never going to suffer again. It's not true. Right. That's correct. I think, I think we've really come to a place in our time where, um, you know, I, you, you, you just laid your finger on something that I have a particular animus toward, which is this decree and declare thing. I, I'm not denying that there are prophetic decrees that come to pass, but I will say this, anytime they work, the gift of faith, the spiritual gift of faith that Paul enumerates with eight others in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, that gift of faith will be in operation when a declaration works or a proclamation. Otherwise, you're just speaking words in the air. And yeah. it's similar in this sense to genuine prophetic utterance. If a prophecy works, it's because the person is speaking under inspiration of God. The scripture contemplates this. Um, there's plenty of examples in the early church that it continued to go on after the apostles died out. And so um, from time to time, and, you know, depending on the, the scope and nature of one's own experiences with God and one's ministry. I mean, Kim, you're widely reckoned to be a prophetess. So, you know, you know what that is when you're under the inspiration. And sometimes oh, yeah. you say things that you're like, oh, my God, I wish I hadn't said that. But yeah. then it comes to pass and you're like, thank you, Lord. I'm glad I didn't get it wrong. So that can happen, but there's this other thing that can happen where people begin to, um, they speak out of their own soul. And I, I want to unpack that a bit, but let yeah. me just leave it there for the moment and finish the thought. 
they they speak out of their own soul rather than out of the spirit meaning the holy spirit and when people speak out of their own soul now we're in very dangerous territory and people who prophesy from the soul typically those words don't come right unless they just get lucky um and just so when people make decrees if they don't have a gift of faith resting on them to empower that decree uh if it happens to come to pass again they they only got lucky in it's in its happenstance but generally speaking a lot of the proclaiming and decreeing that i'm hearing go on i i think it's i think it's born of the flesh it's born of the soul uh it might be well-intentioned flesh and yes. sometimes maybe it's not so well-intentioned it depends on the particulars but <laughs> but bottom line that's not how we're supposed to be prophesying anyway right hold that one second my phone's ringing let me just shut that thing okay. <laughs> you'll have to edit we can do that i thought i turned that off oh it is turning off okay all right all quiet on the western front <laughs> So I have a question sure. for you because I can, um, I think my audience will, will wonder about this. So there's, there's a place in scripture, of course, where it talks about the confession of our faith, hold fast, hold confidence, your, the confession of your faith. And then there's also the, um, Oh, now it just skipped my mind. But the confession, so the confession of our faith. Oh, and in Hebrews, of course, it talks about, that um, that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And Isaiah says that um, the word of the Lord does not return void. So, um, and I think that some of these passages of scriptures are what many Christians, and especially charismatics who believe in, in declaring and decreeing, um, would say, well, when I, when I declare God's word, it doesn't return void. And so why is that not okay as a decree? Well, that's a good question. Um, and it's a perceptive question. But, you know, one of the things we have to be careful about is this thing of uh, what used to be called Bible roulette, where we open <laughs> yes. the Bible and we just look for a verse that happens to satisfy us. Mm -hmm. And then we lay claim to it. And once we've claimed it, um, then it has to come to pass because God's word doesn't return void. God's word doesn't return void when it comes out of his mouth. That's what it says. Every word that comes out of my mouth. And God is still speaking, so I'm okay with that. And I believe God will speak words, including picking up scriptures that are that are written in scripturated and, and putting his breath on them so that they become a now and a living word. That's totally fine. And guess what? That'll work just great. But if you just pick up a word because it is what, what you want it to be and you speak it as though it's going to be, I, I hate to say it, but there might be times when it doesn't happen and it's because God never breathed it. You did. Yeah. And I think there is a difference, don't you, between um, speaking out loud verses in scripture in order to memorize them and allow them to 
penetrate your understanding and your heart so that you begin to live by them in a new way. That's different than taking that scripture and using it like magic, like a magic wand, you know, and using it to poof in that situation, poof in that situation, poof in that situation. Um, It does. It just doesn't always work like that. Well, rarely works like that unless like you said you get lucky and um and using god's word like magic is um is a violation in itself of of how we understand god's word and this is a really important point too uh i remember be a long time ago now but when i was in seminary uh one of my professors used to talk about this thing that we don't engage in magic in the christian community um but you know when you look at um, I'd say some subsectors of society, uh, certainly people that are involved in witchcraft do this. And I will by that. I do mean literal, you know, witchcraft. They would. Yes. To be Wiccan, the cult. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but there would be other people as well where the, the formula is critical. And so you must say this in exactly this way with exactly these words. And if you miss it, uh, who knows, the demon that you're trying to conjure might break out of the bonds and the bounds that you've set up for it and attack you and wreak havoc. I mean, that is literally what people believe in that world. And yes. we have to be careful in Christianity not to fall into this kind of formulaic thing. And so oftentimes when I'm teaching, I will tell people, um, I'm going to, uh, this is how you want to pray. And then I'll say something like this. Now, I don't care if you pray exactly the way I prayed. The words are not as important as your intention. So I'd much rather that you understand what we're trying to do here than that you quote me verbatim. If you have difficulty with words and you're just not given to you know speaking well and you think you're going to fumble over it or you'll forget it, well, then fine. If you want to, you can quote what I say. But please understand... I don't think for a minute that the very words that I've just said here in demonstrating this um, are are the essential way you absolutely must do it. And recently I put out a, a podcast on how to pray for people to get healed of COVID, including mm-hmm. long-term effects of COVID, but including people who have active COVID. And we've the Lord's been gracious to us. It was something that he showed me out of scripture. Um, I kind of stumbled into it. And as far as I know, of all the people I've prayed for since the pandemic began, only three of people have died when I prayed for them using that prayer. And uh, um, how do I want to say this? I've taught this to many people, and I get a lot of reports back that it has worked for them as well. But people, they're always confused. They're like, well, wait a minute, how do I pray? What do I do? So I always demonstrate it. And if people go find that podcast of mine and they listen to it, uh, I demonstrated exactly how to do it. But then I also said, you don't need to quote me. You just need to have the same intention. You need to capture the essence of you know what I'm saying. I'm much more interested that you accurately reflect that than that you quote my very words. And some people really resist that. And they're like, no, no, I need the exact words. Well, then use the ones I used if if you feel that strongly about it. But I think this is ultimately about relationship. And, you know, we say this all the time in the Christian community. God's interested in relationship and we want intimacy with God. And, you know, we use this kind of language and it's, it's fine to use it. But at some point we have to stop and say, am I doing that or am I turning this into a formula? 
And I don't want a formula. I want relationship with God. And so when I pray, according to what I've learned from the scripture, in this case with COVID, I have confidence that God's going to back the act because he has every other time except those three. And in each of those three, there was some strange something that seemed like an extenuating, like this didn't quite, something didn't go right in that, in that discussion and prayer time ahead of the praying. And mm-hmm. so I'm not trying to let myself off the hook as much as to say that I have confidence in my father. And I think if we ground what we do in relationship, we don't have to be so worried about whether I'm quoting the words correctly. Yeah, that's really good. So, so how, okay. So you mentioned earlier, I'm going to take you back a minute. You mentioned earlier about not, not prophesying or praying from our soul, quoting from the soul. And so the, I had a question for you about discerning between what is God and what is culture, but I'm going to change it a little bit. What, how do we discern the difference between what is God and what is our soul? Like, how do we check ourselves? Because I, you know, I mean, listen, I've gotten it wrong too. Yep. Sometimes, you know, and I have gone back. Right. And I have gone back at times and said, God, Oh Lord, did I, did I say, because uh, listen, I, I, it could make me cry right now. I, to think that I would say something and lead someone astray by something that I said was the Lord and it was not is one of the most frightening things I can think of for me. And so, but how do we discern? So someone's listening and they're like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to do that. How do they discern? How do they check? How do they? Yep. I, this is a, this is such a critical question, Kim. I'm so glad you asked it. Um, you know, Jesus said this, and, and he repeats it in different forms throughout the Gospel of John. But in John 5, 17, he says, I only do what the Father shows me to do. And he says, I only speak the words the Father gives me to speak. And yet, he also says, my Father is always at work, and I too am working. Which means, even though his Father was always at work, some of what his Father was doing, Jesus didn't do it because he didn't see it or perceive it or it wasn't his to do. And I think of the man at the gate, beautiful. Jesus probably walked by him many times. He story. left that one for James and, or for Peter and John to do. Why did he leave that one for Peter and John? Well, because the father wasn't doing it for Jesus to do it. Hmm. And so there's this reality in the spirit realm. I learned this from John Wimber. I wish I could claim that this was my own original thinking. <laughs> But um, but there's a reality in the world of the spirit that if we're going to prophesy with accuracy and clarity and power, if we're going to decree with accuracy and clarity and power and effect, then we necessarily must understand what is the father doing? Is the father doing that or am I doing it because it seems to be my best idea? And um, some years ago, I read... Uh, the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius Loyola. Now, a lot of people are probably being triggered just by my saying that, and so let me just apologize as I do it uh, for those of you who are being triggered. But um, St. Ignatius Loyola was the founder of the Jesuits, and he had a book of spiritual exercises that, for me, was very important in my life for a period. Afterward, I, I didn't do that so much, but but I still think it's an important work uh, in the Christian corpus of literature. What and, are spiritual exercises? 
well, there they are things that you do to build yourself up internally in your in your faith. They make you more effective spiritually, and sort and of like all, Christian disciplines, sort of like they, that. Well, that and more. Yes, that yeah. and more. okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and so, for some people, even that what I just said is like their heads are confused and spinning, because in in the Western world we tend to think of the spirit realm as make-believe. It's in your imagination. It's not real. Mm. It's just what people dream up and it, it somehow gives them comfort or it, it helps them frame reality. But we all know there's really nothing there. And, and that, that concept, I think, pervades Western Christianity. And so even for believers, a lot of times when we say something like, I only do what the Father shows me to do or what the Spirit of God tells me to do. That would be another form of the same idea. Uh, and by the way, we see an example of that one with Philip the Evangelist when he uh, ultimately converts the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, because you may remember, he wakes up in the morning and an angel says to him, go down to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. Yeah, And then when he goes down and he's on that road, the Holy Spirit says to him, see that chariot? Run up to that chariot. That's not make-believe. That's, that's the Holy Spirit of God speaking. Yes. But for many Christians, this idea of God speaking in this manner is fiction. I don't know what other word to use for it. And I categorically don't believe that. I'm, I'm not saying everything people say is God is in fact God. But I am saying that there is a God. He does speak. We can learn to hear his voice, and when we follow him and we prophesy or we do an action or we decree or we whatever because we were led to do so by the Spirit of God, there will be an effect that will come about consistent with the intention of the action or the words. Oh, I think that's so good. I was just in a conversation a couple of days ago. Um, with with some brand new friends of mine, because you know I I moved to Idaho, so I've only been here a year, and um, but I'm making some great friends, and I'm having so much fun, and um, and they were mentioning the fact that I hear from God, you know, and they said that they don't, and I said I I think that you hear from God, uh, you may not recognize it as hearing from God, you know, and because the, there's many ways of hearing from God. It's not like a voice that comes into your, into your ears and goes, Hey there, now I want, you know, I mean, it can be, but, but it can come in many different ways. So we were talking a little bit about that and they're like, no, see, you know, I see you do this and I see, and I, and I said, Oh, I understand what you're talking about. And I think this goes with what you're saying. The difference between us, you see, is that um, I, when I think that I have heard the voice of the Lord, I act on it. And yeah. I told them, sometimes you are not going to know it's if true. it's the Lord or you until you act on it. And you, and acting on it, when it comes to paths, you are, you gain confidence that you hear the Lord and you become used to, okay, that was the Lord. And if, it doesn't, or if really bad goes badly, which I've had that in my life early on, especially, um, then I know, oh, that was, that was just me. And so, so in, in learning to discern the difference, don't you think can sometimes it's, it, it depends on, are you willing to actually walk it out? Absolutely. In fact, uh, one of the things that I always 
tell people when I'm teaching on topics like this is that um, truth of any kind that is not acted upon hardens the heart. So if God speaks to you and you don't respond to it, you will actually close your ears and your heart such that the next time he speaks, it's more difficult to hear him. And if you continually do that, eventually, uh, what does the scripture say? He who often hardens his heart will be broken beyond measure suddenly. And so eventually there, you come to the point of, we'll just call it breakage. And suddenly everything just sort of shuts down and you're like, where is God? How did this even work? And you know where we see an example of this in scripture is when Saul the king goes to the witch of Endor in 1 Samuel 28. Mm -hmm. Now he has been on a long slide for a while. God had told him yeah. to do something with the Amalekites. He didn't carry that out. And then he goes and he, you know, he, he slaughters the Gibeonites. And so that becomes a problem. And he begins to hunt David and he tries to commit murder. And he's doing all these things that are, none of them is good. And, and, but when he gets to the witch of Endor, he says, I want you to call up Samuel from the dead. And, uh, and she manages to do it. It's one of the most kind of problematic verses in scripture. Or <laughs> it's, it is problematic. <laughs> but, but the bottom line is, Paul yep. says, it's not Paul, Saul, the king, says this. Yep. He says, uh, I've had to do this because God no longer answers me, whether by prophets or Urim or Thummim. So in those mm -hmm. days, they used the Urim and the Thummim to, to get the word of the Lord sometimes. Sometimes prophets would bring the word of the Lord. But basically, Saul says, I'm out of options. Why was Saul out of options? Because he'd hardened his heart and disregarded what God had to say at pretty much every turn. And now, as it says, he was broken beyond measure. And in fact, the very next day he dies in battle. Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, I've, I've been looking at lately the, the, of course, book of Hebrews, is my favorite book, but it talks about today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Yes. As in the time of the wilderness, what happened in the wilderness, it says it was because of their disobedience. And what did their disobedience come about as? Because of their unbelief. And you started this with saying, that if we do, if we haven't accepted the fact that the spiritual realm is real, yep, right. If we have unbelief about that, then there's another reason why we won't act on what we think we've heard. That's correct. You because know, and so, and and at some point, we call our own bluff. Yeah, right? we've been going around saying God speaks to me, or the word of the Lord is this or that, but now it's time to put up or shut up, and we're like, uh. I don't actually believe that. Well, that's calling your own bluff. Yeah. And, and for people who are just learning to hear the voice of the, you're going to have to settle that. Yeah. You're going to have to settle. You're going to have to settle it in your heart. Otherwise you're never going to take the risk to act on what, I mean, I mean, you brought up Philip, right? What if Philip was like, I don't know if he spent all that time going, I don't know if that's you, God. I don't know if that, you know, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. You know, in the meantime, the chariot has gone by. Exactly. And the, op right. the opportunity That's passes. Right. That's right. You know, That's and right. and and if we take this back to what we started in the beginning that you're talking about in the macro view that, you know, that we've entered in this very challenging time, sorrows upon sorrows, and that we're, we're in this time. And if we're not heavenly minded, like if we don't have that worldview, 
that we are heavenly minded, that this, uh, you know, that this life is not the only thing that matters. As a matter of fact, it matters very little compared to the, to the eternity that we're going to have. And so, and so it's, it's okay, even if I do something and it costs me my life, you know, um, but it allows me to be willing to pay the cost. But then from there, you still also have to have that worldview that says that the, the unseen is real. That's that right. the spirit realm is real. That God, how I don't know how how do you believe that God is real, if you don't believe the unseen is real. God is spirit, right? And so, yes, and so God speaks. He speaks by His Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's that's really wow. That's amazing. Okay, I wanna I wait, wanna wait, move wait, us along. Okay, all right, yeah, all right. Important. I'm um, excited to ask it. I figure we might as well. At least yeah. Um, so the, the the other thing that I wanted to say is, and I got this from St. Ignatius in his book, The Spiritual Exercises, although I've, I've kind of updated the language a little bit for the 21st century because he wrote in the 16th century. Uh, but um, this idea that I, I call it spiritual neutrality. And if you want to kind of get a mental picture of what that might mean, um, think of a razor blade that maybe you stick it into a piece of wood. So it's, you know, it's sitting vertically like this with the edge upward. And, uh, and you're trying to balance a ball bearing on the edge of the razor blade. If, it, if you're just a little to one side or the other, the ball bearing is going to fall off and hit the piece of wood. And so when it comes to discerning the voice of God, the word of the Lord, um, it's critical that we be in spiritual neutrality. Now, what does that what does that mean in, in practice? We have a picture of it in the Bible, where Jesus goes to Gethsemane, and he's gone there. I mean, he's come back to Jerusalem knowing he's going to die. He told Peter this. He, Peter rebukes him, and he rebukes Peter. Uh, but okay, so they're in Jerusalem now, and it's you know it's it's what we say on the church calendar, it's Maundy Thursday, not Monday Thursday, but Maundy Thursday, which is sad Thursday. Maundy is an old fashioned word for sad because it's the yes. night of the Last Supper. Uh, they've done this and they've now gone over to the Mount of Olives uh, to pray. And Jesus, it says, began to sweat great drops of blood. Well, it's pretty clear that Jesus knew what was coming. And it's also clear that he didn't really want it. In fact, the scripture records that he said, Father, if there is any way for this cup to pass from me, let this cup pass from me. I do not want to go to the cross. So did Jesus have a strong point of view? Yes, he did. And he actually didn't. He was willing to submit. That's different. But he did not want to go to Calvary. I think it's important that we recognize that. And so he's asking, Father, we're down to the last hours here. This is it. If there's any other way, just tell, just uh, let's do that one. I want that one. I don't want to die and I don't want to die that way. Yeah. So yeah. Jesus has a very strong point of view. And I'm going to come back to that concept in just a second, but let's just leave that and finish this thought. He has a very strong point of view. He's sweating blood. It's so strong. And as he's praying, he's like, uh-huh, uh, yeah, uh-huh, uh, Father, I always do what you tell me to do. Uh-huh, uh. Uh, the, the cross. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, um, okay. Then that's what I'll do. I'll go to the cross. And so 
if you want to think about it this way, it's like we can say, you know, here is what I want. But now that I've fully articulated it to you, because I'm in relationship with you, I'm going to set that over here. And I'm going to back away from that thing. And I'm going to say, all right, now I've just told you what I want. It's just right there. What do you want? And then we listen for him to say, and he may well say, you know that thing you want? That's not what I want. Or sometimes we might have actually had the mind of God, and he says, that's what I want. But but the point is, if we're in spiritual neutrality, we can actually say, here's what I want, but I can hear what you want if what you want isn't what I want. So and good. when I hear what you say, I'm going to do what you say, not what I want, if they are not the same thing. Yeah, That's spiritual neutrality. And we see it being played out with Jesus right there, you know, in the in the hours before his trial begins. And I think that for a lot of prophesying that's going on in America yes. today, yeah, people yeah. are prophesying what they want, not yeah. what the Father wants. And it's because they haven't learned to hear the voice of God and say, okay, I only do what the Father shows me to do or what the Father speaks in my ear. I mean, there's different ways of articulating this, but it's the same idea. I've yielded my will to you. And however you're communicating, whether it's by an audible voice in my ear, whether it's by a vision, whether it's a dream, whether it's just a, a certainty inside of me, a no, that internal knowing, whatever that thing is that you communicate to me with, whatever that is, I'm going to listen to that thing no matter what I want. And, you know, one of the things that I always tell people is, if you've ever been in the position of you're trying to decide whether to take a particular job or maybe you're interviewing and you have two or three options, that can be incredibly confusing. And people say, I can't hear God. God's not speaking. Well, that's because you. it's really hard when you have a vested interest to be in spiritual yes. Or yes. you're dating. How about if you're dating? Should I oh. marry him? Should I marry oh. her? Oh, I don't know. I, you know, yes. I love so much. Well, there it is. Your feelings your soul yes love a bad thing no it's not a bad thing but no. your soul is in the way and you can't hear the lord and yeah. that's why you need counsel that's why you need to maybe go away and fast for several days in getting an answer to that all-important question do or don't i marry them but but we see in these matters of the heart whether they be um, again a job romance or could be other things too are we going to go according to the flesh and what our soulish man or woman would do, or are we going to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? This is so critical, and almost no one is talking about it today. It is so critical. And I think if you go back even to uh, to that moment when Peter says, you know, uh, but who do you say that I am? And Peter blurts out, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, Peter, you know, Flesh and blood didn't didn't reveal this to you. My father in heaven revealed this to you. Upon this rock, I'm gonna build my church, blah, 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 blah. Says then he and then Jesus explains to them because they've had this major revelation that did come from God. It was God speaking. And you know, he had enough neutrality to hear that, you know, and 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 then he says, but now I'm going to show you I have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things from the from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to rise. And Peter blurts out, oh, this shall not happen to you, God. Far be this from you. You know, and Jesus has to rebuke him and say, get behind me, Satan. 
you know, on one moment he hears something from God, the next moment he wasn't neutral enough. Well, to be actually, able to Jesus explains how he missed it. He says, yeah. you have your mind set not on the things of God, but on the things of men. And so right. the, the two his primary tradition, areas- His political ideology, lose, yeah. Yeah, the two primary areas where we lose spiritual neutrality are in the realm of the mind, where we have strong opinions or expectations, yeah. and in the realm of the heart. So the mind and the emotions, which are actually two parts of the soul. So we're back to soulishness. Um, yeah. What's the heart? Well, think about if you're in love. I love her. I want her so much. Well, okay, you do, but is that the Lord? Well, I don't know. All I know is I love her because your human emotion is rising up. And we actually don't give our hearts away to someone until we get married. But in our society, we often do. And part of how we do it, of course, is jumping in bed. So <laughs> whether we fail at the mind level or we fail at the emotion level, Peter failed at the mind level based on that passage in, in uh, Matthew 16. Either way, it'll it'll fall apart. And so now Peter's in a wreck. And so the very guy who a moment before was living under an open heaven, as we would say, receiving revelation, you're the Christ. Jesus says, ah, nice work. And just a moment ago, you were you were right in the zone. And now you're totally outside the zone, Peter, because of your carnality of mind. Well, yes. And, and Peter also was espousing to you know, well, if that happens to you, how are you going to uh, overcome Rome and and depose them and 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 take political action? And how are we going to have a political coup? And what he didn't what he was giving into was, you know, the things that he desired, of course, to see because of his oppression, the things that he probably had learned, you know, in his uh, in his culture and upbringing and even things that they had interpreted from scripture, you know. And so we have to be so, so careful. And it's not easy. We're not saying, listen, if you're listening to this, we're not saying this is easy. And we're not even saying that you're going to get it right every time. We're just saying that this is a time for great great caution. And, you know, Ken, you mentioned, you know, I love her. I love her. But what I have found where I have had a really hard time and sometimes been wrong myself over the years is when I have such a compassion for someone who is suffering in a situation. Oh, sure. And I yeah. want, I want so much out of love for them and out of pain for them not to have to go through this anymore. I have on occasion, I have said things that were not the Lord, you know, and I've had to go back and say, I'm so sorry I got that wrong. How many times that I haven't done this particular one, but I, I was in on a situation once years ago when, when someone was dying of cancer and this was many, many years ago. And, um, but, but, all the people around them were declaring, decreeing, you know, uh, this, this is not unto death. This disease, right. you know, is not unto death. You shall not die, but live, you know, and this person died. And, and, um, and I never understood. And then there was so much confusion and pain over that because the prophecy um, that had been spoken by some very, very people who really got it right so often, yep. you know, and, uh, but but you look at that and you say, you know, were they mean? No. Were they trying to like be celebrities and get? No, it was out of their deep compassion for this person they loved so much. You, you know? see this all the time in uh, churches 
uh, here we've got, oh, you know, Bob. And Bob's a little bit awkward, but he's a nice guy and he loves the Lord. And Bob would like to be married, but because he's a little awkward, women don't feel comfortable around him. And I'm not saying he's a pervy guy. He just, he's just awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and so he can't ever seem to get a woman. And, you know, people walk up to him. They're like, the Lord says this time next year you will be getting married because, you know, and the, God's going to bring a woman and, 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 and it's going to be the love of yeah. your life. And, you know, was it well-intentioned or, as you say, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Or we see it with, you know, with Sally Mae Smoot. And Sally Mae Smoot's been married for eight years and she and her husband don't have a child and they want a baby. Yes. And so that, but yes. the Lord shows me you're going to give birth to twins or, you know, whatever the word is. Yes. All of that is motivated by compassion, but it's actually, uh, Mike Bickle has a term for it, unsanctified mercy. Ooh, ouch. Yes. And so, it, you know, it's too. a love and, and is. love is yeah. a good thing. But, but this is why, you know, I, I used to have this assistant and she, she ultimately uh, resigned and went off to uh, get a theological degree and, She's just finishing her program now. We're still in touch. We're on great terms, and awesome. who knows? Maybe she'll come back and work for me again. But, uh, but anyway, she used to, you know, be with me in meetings, and she'd say, "How come you've never given me a word?" And I say, "Because I like you too much." And I'm married. I wasn't being unfaithful, but I liked her. I mean, I really enjoyed her company, and she was a great right. assistant. I respected her. We had a good professional relationship. Yeah. And I said, "I like you too much," and so it's hard for me to be neutral when I when I look at you and I start thinking. Do I have a word for you? I'm not sure enough that it's really God, so I won't release it. Yep. And she said, well, so does that mean you only prophesy to people you don't know? I said, well, I do give more words to people I don't know than I do. But but really what it comes down to is, do I have the time to sit and kind of clarify all that, sort out the wheat from the chaff, if you want to say it that way, so that when I give a word to somebody I do know, I actually have some confidence that I'm giving the word of the Lord and not the word of the Ken. <laughs> well, yes. And that, you know, I, I feel the same way, like about my husband, you know, I, I think that maybe one time I have given my husband a word and I can remember it so clearly. We were, we were in a conference and the Holy spirit was just in the room. And all of a sudden I knew what the Lord was saying to him because, and, and, and here's an, this is another point of discernment when we talk about this, because I know that man so well. And, um, and there are things in his life that, that I would want corrected. Now I'm not beaten up on my husband because listen, this could come with a friend or this could come with some other person, a sure. person in your church, you know, and you also don't want to speak a word of correction, which is really just your, opinion or your observation about somebody and the thing you need, you know, needs to change and say that as a prophetic word, because that's not okay either. Right. Or something you're angry about or something, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's see, if you're that's angry. Okay now you're prophesying out of your emotion again. It's just in that yes, case, well, negative emotion, not positive emotion. Yes. So this is the problem is people think, well, but you know what? I didn't mean anything bad by it. I love them. It's still a problem. We can't prophesy out of emotion and we can't prophesy out of our own opinions. One of the first things that Bob Jones ever said to me when I met him years ago is, you know, I was relatively new out of my uh, undergraduate 
education and I went to a very good university that, you know, is widely respected and I'd read a lot of books and, um, and I'd read way more than I was even required to read in my various programs and classes. And so I was, uh, well, I was overflowing with knowledge, but you know, knowledge, love, uh, knowledge puffs up and love builds up. So when Bob Jones looks at me and he goes, boy, Papa's going to burn your mind to ash. And I thought, I don't know what that means, but that can't be good. And then he looked at me and he said, you, you, he looked at me, you know, he had those kind of beady eyes and he says, you got too much of that stinking thinking boy, just like that. And I was like, uh, uh, and he says, you need to lose your opinions. Well, the opinions are that mental construct. This is what mm. I want. This is what I believe. I'm so sure I'm right that, uh, that he was basically telling me this is blocking you in your prophetic growth. And if you'll learn to lay that down, you'll be able to prophesy with some benefit. Well, great. But how long did that take? I, mean, I don't know if I'm done yet, but I mean, it's, it certainly took a while after that word to start unwinding some of that stuff and uh, letting go of those firmly held convictions. And, you know, it's funny we're talking about this actually, because, um, I, I sent a text uh, around the time of the Capitol Hill riot early this year. Oh, uh-oh. Uh Did you really just say that? Are you going to get political on me? I'm kidding. I'm no, kidding. no, I'm not going to get political. But I was talking <laughs> with okay. a friend and he said, how did all these prophets miss it? And yeah. so I'd just been reading through Jeremiah. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't know what to do with Jeremiah. He's kind of he's not a happy prophet, right? But, <laughs> but here's a few choice excerpts, um, you know, from the text that I sent uh, back then. These are ways that prophetic revelation goes wrong. Number one, prophesying vain imaginations. Now, vain imaginations, meaning things you've imagined, but the word vain, that's not a word we use a lot. We tend to use it to mean proud, but it also means empty. So you're prophesying empty imaginations, but if they're imaginations, by definition, they're arising from the mind. And if we have vain imaginations, they can be both present tense and future tense. So if they're present tense, we're going to get our details wrong in the words of knowledge and things that we give. And if the future tense is wrong, we're going to speak of what's coming and it won't come to pass because God never spoke it. It came up out of our vain imagination. And again, the imagination is rooted in the mind, which is a third part of the soul, the human soul. But the soul is not the spirit. The soul is part of the man or the woman, and the spirit is the Holy Spirit. And the two can look very similar and seem very similar. Hebrews 4.12, again, your favorite book, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It can divide asunder between soul and spirit. But no one, nothing else can. So part of what we've got to do is recognize when we're speaking from our empty imagination. And oftentimes that will be what we want. Now, let's talk for a second about how all these prophets got the word of the Lord wrong in their prophesying about the last election. If you just take this one concept, and I've got a couple more to give you, but let's articulate this one a bit. Mm -hmm. You take just this one single concept and you think about it. Most prophets in the United States that are that are Christian prophets, the vast majority of them live in the South and they are Republican. 
that most of them live in Texas and Tennessee. There's some in Florida. There's some in North Carolina. You'll find a few here and there in Alabama and Mississippi and Georgia, but but that's not actually where they cluster. Um, and, you know, you and I know some in common uh, that live in the Northeast, but there aren't that many. You now live in Idaho, but there aren't that many in Idaho. There's very few in California. There's there is a a bit of it in California because of churches like Bethel and um, and Harvest Rock, but you know, and we've got like Jennifer Abaz, she's in the Central State, and uh, Daniel McCollum, he's in Sacramento. So there are some in California, but but really, in the scheme of things, there aren't many compared with the other southern states that I described. And most prophets tend to be Republicans. And this one's kind of understandable because if you if you take the Bible even remotely seriously, that tends to frame your worldview. And I would say that it's this is not a clear-cut line, just to be sure that everybody does hear what I say. Hmm. But there are many issues that that fall, you know, Democrat and Republican, where at least directionally. Um, the Republicans seem on the surface to lean more towards what the Bible seems to be saying. Not everything and not all the time, but enough that there's at least a general tendency that pushes people kind of towards that Republican side. So now we get this election and prophets are trying to discern, okay, what is God saying about the election? Well, it's an interesting question, because if you have a strong prevailing bias to be a Republican and to be, therefore, in this case, pro-Trump as opposed to pro-Biden, and oh, by the way, if you happen also to be a Southerner, although not all are, you have at least two levels of vain imagination that you've got to get beyond to be able to hear the word of the Lord. To get neutral. To get neutral, exactly. To get back to that exact concept. And many people don't even know that that's, that those are pitfalls, or specifically that neutrality is a pitfall, but that you know these two things of where you live and how you vote could become barriers to neutrality. Many people don't even know to be on the lookout for that. So, you know, coming into right, the, right. The, the, uh, the election, uh, you know, I was talking with some, you know, people that are, well-regarded prophets and i'm thinking of one person in particular and i said this person asked me do you have a word from the lord about this election i said i don't have a word from the lord nothing that i trust so i said nothing and this individual said i haven't had either but a lot of a lot of other people think they've heard from the lord i said yeah we'll see i'm not so sure about this one and uh and then i actually did get a word from the lord it was after the election but before the election was called and I called that prophetic person and I said, I think I got a word from the Lord and I think it's that Biden is going to win. Or actually what I said is Biden is the president. I want to be clear about that, which, by the way, for those that are listening and have strong views on this, to say that Biden is the president is not the same thing as saying he won the election. Yeah. <laughs> it just means he's the president because he's the one that got sworn in. And so I, I said this to this individual and uh, they said back to me, if I were you, I probably wouldn't release that word because you might find that you lose a lot of friends and there might be a price on your head. <laughs> so they weren't talking uh... about neutrality. They weren't talking about Republicans and, you know, whether you live in the South. But mm -hmm. 
But underneath that comment was this recognition that we can all fall into vain imaginations because we're yeah. prophesying out of our own mind. It's a risk for everyone. Yes. So good. Well, now wait a minute. I, so here's some other ways that things go wrong. Jeremiah says two minutes. Okay, two minutes. Ten. I'll make it two quick. <laughs> Jeremiah says some prophets make it up. So there are some people who are prophesying not just vain imagination. It's just this is what I want, so this is what I'm going to say, and that could be a big problem with decree and declare. And here's a third one: repeating the words of others. He says they steal words from one another. So especially with regard to presidential elections, there's always this sort of race to the top or the bottom, take your pick, by being the first one to declare that word. And then everyone goes, oh, oh I got that word too. I got that word too. And then everybody's kind of in this dogfight to see who actually got it first. And, and this is completely out of bounds, according to Jeremiah. And then a fourth way that, uh, that prophecy can go amiss is by prophesying from good or bad emotion, which we've kind of covered already, so I don't really need to elaborate it. And then a fifth way um, is that prophesying from an unyielded will. So we've now talked about the realm of the mind, the emotion, and the will. Now the will, we talked about that with Jesus and Gethsemane and needing to lay it down, but there are many people who have an unbroken will. We don't even like to preach that way anymore, but it was a big thing in the 20s, 30s, and 40s the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, that we would talk about, you know, having a broken will, having a yielded will. And so if we're going to prophesy according to the Lord, we must prophesy according to what he wants and what he says, no matter what comes. And we see an example of this one with Micaiah ben Imlah in uh, 1 Kings 22. You know, they say to him, look, everyone's saying that they're going to go out and win this battle. You should prophesy the same way. He goes, look, I can't prophesy anything but what the Lord shows me. And he actually prophesies contrary to all the other prophets and you know gets in the doghouse with um, with King Ahab because of it. So what I've just described are three dimensions of the soul: the mind, and our opinions and attitudes, our emotion, and our unyielded will. Any or all of these can cause the word of the Lord to go wrong. And this, I believe, is where we missed it with so many of our words that came at the last election. Oh, oh my gosh! My gosh! I have. I have a list have of a questions, list of questions in, my in my mind that I don't like to ask even further, but we are, we're actually over time. Okay. And so, uh, and so I would love to have you back one more time, Ken, sure. to, uh, to answer a couple of more of these questions, if that's okay with you. And um, because I still, I still want to ask you, what does a reformation then in the prophetic look for, look like, and how do we, how do we get there? What do we do? Because, um, it's one thing to diagnose a problem, but we we have to have solutions, right? Yes. And um, and as leaders in the body and influencers, we need to influence people toward that reformation. So thank you, though, so much. And would you would you close us up by uh, praying for us? And uh, and well, I there's all kinds of things I would love you to pray for, but you know what I would really like you to pray for? I would really like you to pray for those with COVID. You mentioned that, and I don't know many people are having a lot of success with that, although, and you and I both, we completely believe in divine healing. But if you've discovered something through the word of God and, and by the Holy Spirit, then I want you to release it on those who are listening right now, because people are not only have it, but they're having lasting side effects from yeah. it. 
That's right. And so would you pray for us for that? And then after he prays, everybody, I bless you. And thank you for listening to the Move Forward Dr. Kim Moss podcast. Again, this has been Ken Fish of OrbisMinistries.org. And you can find him by going to that website and listen to all the other stuff he has and his podcast, God is Not a Theory. All right, Ken, pray for us, please. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to pray against something called Kateb. If you want to know more about this, you should listen to the broadcasts I've done on this because we are out of time. But that's what I'm going to do, and it's proven to be very effective. So, Father, we come in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for the authority you've given us as believers to go out and do his works. And you said that you would give us power over all the power of the enemy. And so, Lord, we want to take up this thing that you've put placed in your word. Psalm 91, verse 6, speaks of this thing called Keteb which is the spirit of destruction and that the rabbis taught, the rabbinical community taught, was behind all plague and pestilence globally. Father, we come against Keteb in Jesus' name. And now by the authority that you've given us as members of the kingdom of heaven, we speak against Keteb and we say, Keteb, release your hold over those who, that you've afflicted. Those who are sick with COVID right now, those who have had COVID and have had long-term effects, whether in the mind, whether in their uh, sinuses, their nose, uh, whether brain fog. Some of them have had difficulty with their throats. Uh, Lord, some of them have had difficulty with their lungs because their lungs were partially destroyed. They were jellified or they became crystallized. We speak against you, Keteb, in the name of Jesus. We command you, release the people of God from your curse and your scourge. We break your power over their bodies. We command you, let go and get out. Yes. And we also speak against the power of Keteb as he has tried to lay hold of the digestive tract, whether with uh, digestion or with um, elimination of bodily waste. And we speak to the kidneys and the liver, these two primary organ systems that have so often been afflicted by Keteb and have caused people to die. We speak to Keteb in the liver. We speak to Keteb in the kidneys. We command you, release and go. And Lord, we ask also over the heart, in the name of Jesus, we break the power of uh, any myocardial complications, any of the pains that have come, all of the difficulty around the heart that have not cleared up. Kateb, release your hold over these people and on the authority of Jesus Christ, vacate the premises, get out of their bodies and do not come back. And now, Father, having rebuked this spirit, we ask that you would allow healing from your throne to flow down into the brains, into the sinuses, into the throats, into the lungs, into the heart, into the stomach, into the intestines, over the liver and the kidneys, that you would heal them and raise them up, and they would be able to say, whatever that was, I've never felt anything like it, but God truly touched me. Lord, let it be so, because you are a healing God. You said your name is healer, and so we look to you to be faithful to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, friend. I'll see you back for a third episode very, very shortly, like next week. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. Again, listen to the next one. You won't want to miss what we have to say next.